Hey everyone, before we start today's episode, I'd just like to let you know that our season finale is dropping next week. We'll be doing a recap on some of the best moments of the season with insights, tools and strategies shared by our brilliant guests. We've been thrilled at how well the podcast has been received, charting number one on the Apple UK non-profit list and charting really well in the US too. If you've been enjoying Mission to Scale, what would really help us is if you could subscribe or follow our podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews also make a big difference, so if you don't mind taking a moment to do that, we'd really appreciate it, as it will help us reach more people and make an even bigger impact through the show. Thank you so much, and now on to the episode. I think my kind of story is a main story of some South African young people who start their businesses, where there's kind of low support and there's so much pressures to provide. I mean, you must remember, at home, I'm the first graduate to go to university. And, and there's much more expectation that my mother was, I mean, she's not employed. She's a domestic worker. She was running and, and she'd been businesses. And my father passed away. So I had so much load in terms of, we call it black tax. So I have to take care in terms of the sibling, the home and, and, and providing. And I took that moment a risk to start the business. So there was so much at stake. This is Mission to Scale, a podcast that reveals the tools, mindsets, and strategies that organizations and funders need to make the most impact, because the world's biggest problems need solutions at scale. I'm your host, Dan Borelovitz. Throughout this season, we've heard various stories and strategies from leaders in the social sector about how they've set and achieved scale for their organizations. But what we haven't really covered is the determination to succeed at scaling when all the odds are stacked against you. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing a conversation with award-winning tech entrepreneur Lavoyo Rani. In 2004, Lavoyo started selling refurbished computers from the back of his car to teachers in Kailicha, a township in South Africa. Townships in South Africa are areas that were designated under apartheid legislation to be occupied by non-white racial groups. With zero capital in the beginning, Lavoyo was able to grow his company, Salulo Utholo Technologies, to 250 employees, 16 franchisees, and Lavoyo being named as Schwab Social Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016. In this episode, we talk about scaling in informal economies, how Lavoyo built and grew his business under extraordinarily tough conditions, and why data is so critical in decision-making. So teachers, which like where I started with, um, then from selling second-hand computers, they were buying these computers. They could not able to use the computers, but they didn't have a skill to use the computers. So, so then I decided to, with my brother and also the partner, to open a first internet cafe in Kailicha. It was 2006. And once open internet cafe, we just realized that people are not coming in numbers to use the internet. And then we said, okay, let's train them just the basic skills that's how to type 
uh, because they come in with papers, they want us to write out their CVs. And then we train them, then they can able to train in the store. And then we could see now there's a need to open a school where we just like train um, like a student. And then so 2007, we started with the school and then 2009. So it took us five years to get the model right. So the model was more on the access to the internet, the skilling to get them community skills so they can find employment. And then it was more an opportunity to bring these services in an area where there were no services. I mean, like before we came in, people were used to kind of traveling about 30K to access to the internet for the job. They used to go to town to get the skill now. So since now we bring these services closer to them, so we're creating one-stop center for the connectivity, for the printing, for the I mean training, and also repairs and maintenance and also selling the hardware. So that's how it started now. So we started with one store and then opened a branch and then it changed now from just like selling. It becomes a social enterprise now because many young people now start finding employment, start studying further, start their businesses. We open opportunity for other farming staff members to have franchise opportunity with us. And then we also become an opportunity for many people that I mean, they're using us as to access to many opportunities. So that's how we started based on the opportunity and also based on the gap that we are seeing that I mean, people were left behind around technology. So it's quite some journey. You said that you started this business in Kailicha. And for most people listening to this podcast, I think they won't understand the context and, and what that means. So could you paint a picture for people who've never been? Yeah. Sort of what were the circumstances that you started this? This is not just a regular startup. These were tough conditions you were in. No, no. I mean, like you, you were spot on right in the sense that Kailicha is the second biggest township after Soweto. Um, it's got 1.5 million people staying in Kailicha. It's highly populated. It has, an, I mean, squatter camps, shacks, where people are living and staying in informal. It was meant by the system of the apartheid, the government of the apartheid as a dormitory. So it was more like um, black would become a labor to Cape Town. So they go and sleep. So it was not designed as an area, so especially and, and systematic, it was not designed that the area is can grow. And it's been probably, it was established in 1983, almost 38 years, if I'm right now. Yeah, 38 years in existence now. So it becomes the biggest informal areas where 60% are unemployment. I mean, there's young people who are unemployed and there's high numbers of uh, HIV, TB. I mean, there's so much social ills that you find in area. But honestly, it's a space where there's so much opportunities around entrepreneurs. I mean, young people are coming up with innovative ideas, but when we started, it was kind of a space, I mean, that it was not conducive to start a business because of even most schools that were selling these computers and teachers, they were being broken. The computer would be stolen. And because of that time, they could not, I mean, relate and connect it. I mean, still some of the social problem, they are still there even today. It's still a problem. In fact, COVID has made it worse with the poverty, because it's like everywhere you go now, there's shack. You're welcome with the shack and people are building shacks in the area where it's not uh, conducive enough now. And the poverty is kind of um, increasing unemployment becomes like, and the gaps around inequality, it becomes wilder now. So it's it's kind of like space where 
it's particularly difficult to establish a, a proper enterprise, but it's an opportunity space where many amazing enterprises come in through that space. And so in this tough environment in 2004, how were you able to start your your business? Are you from Kailitra yourself? Did you grow up there? Or no, no, that- no. I, I, I come from the Eastern Cape in Queenstown. Uh, next to Mandela's uh, village in Tat. Okay. It's like 200 kilometers. So I came to Cape Town to study uh, because Cape Town has got best uh, institutions in higher learning. So I was kind of coming here just to study sort of where I come from, from a poverty I come from, so I can be able to be a provider at home when I was came, came in. So, but I, when I was there, I mean, when I arrived, I arrived in 1996. So when I arrived in, in Kailisha, I mean, it was Mostly it was squatter camps. I mean, it has evolved now. People are build, building their houses now. It's have changed now. So it was just informal. So I was staying in the squatter camps. I was kind of experiencing them. So it, I spent two years staying in, in, in Kailisha before I moved to the residence at the university. Um, but that time it, it was just like a struggling to access to the technology, access to facilities and access to a great opportunity. So for us, as we start, I mean, it was difficult. I mean, it took us some time and because, I mean, I was defaulting to pay the bond and the car that I was having since I was a teacher. And, and, and it put me in trouble to extend that my name was blacklisted. So I could not even access to funding to fund the enterprise, the organization because of our defaulting. In fact, the bank wanted to repossess my house because I was kind of like um, defaulting in terms of the payment. So it was kind of a, a stage of start from nothing, no funding, no support, no mentorship. Even the trust that I was getting in from the customer and chief of teachers, they're not trusting me. They were kind of saying, I'm mad. How should I, I, I resign comfortable I'm in position and start selling a second home? Even neighbors where I'm staying, they were saying that, no, you're not okay. I mean, there's no way that we think that we're going to survive selling refurbished computers in the boot of a car and think that we are going to make it now. So the condition, I mean, it was not so great now. I think one, one thing that was great, it was more my mother and my brother who were behind me and they were believing in the vision and they were giving me kind of like say, I'll go all and make it happen now. And where did the capital come from? That was from your family, essentially. Yes, I mean, my brother, I mean, like that time he was working at Exit Mobile fixing the repairs on computers and he went to the bank and asked for 10,000 rand. Uh, to buy four computers, which is around that's around five hundred dollars, I think, isn't it? Five six hundred dollars. Yeah, could, yeah. Five, five, could be five hundred dollars. That that's kind of like where we started, and we we bought. I mean, these second hand computers, four of them. It was the start of the businesses, but that it probably within the next three months, but they were not sale for three months. So it was as if like the funding now. But I think what I've seen, I mean, after four months, I see one of the school in terms of primary where teachers coming together. So I encouraged the teachers to form a stock for a savings, a saving club. So I'll, I'll, I'll group them in a, in a group of six and they will pay each 400, 400, 400. So it's with over six months, I'll deliver computers in the schools and they use that uh, saving club to buy computers for that. So it was the start of the siege of buying computers, but it was just like for us to survive. Until we able to, I mean, to get the first funding that we ever received. I mean, the first funding we received from, from UK, hmm. uh, from, uh, from TBN, uh, Transmission Business Network. 
As Lavoyo worked ingeniously to grow his venture, he met an investor who helped transform the trajectory of Cellulo. So when we met Dr. Kim, we met through the warehouse. So warehouse is a kind of a Christian organization based in, 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 in I think, Clermont. Um, that, I mean, we, through Craig and Colin, they kind of introduced us. I mean, uh, and, and they, they were coming in just to go and visit Kailish and they happened to come to see our, to our, our store. And they were interested in terms of the story. I mean, they said in terms of the vision that we have it. And then Dr. Kim was coming to South Africa and it happens that, um, the meeting was arranged for us to meet. I mean, it was my brother and myself to meet Dr. Kim. And it was the first time, you know, we know Dr. Kim and then we just pitched the idea. He just like listened to us and then he kind of like said that I'm willing to kind of risk because I believe in you that you are going to be the next big thing if I believe in. And I think that's kind of a, a case that also many entrepreneurs that they need that belief, that someone that believe in them, in their dreams and opens up the opportunity. So I think that's kind of like for us, that was an enabler for us to start our expansion. One of the things I've found in creating this podcast is that it's really difficult to find someone like yourself who is born, raised in the country that they've built a business and been able to scale it. Why do you think that is? So as a black person, I was not allowed to start a business. So for me, what I was allowed, it was for me to serve the master. So I was allowed to serve the white person through my labor. So it was not at all envisaged that black person can be the means of, that's why you see that in Africa, South Africa, we are more consumers, more, more than producers, because of the system was designed for us not to be. So it's still today, I mean, after 27 years of a democracy, that you don't have as many, I mean, for us, we become a pioneer. The challenge that we face when we're growing the businesses, it was to find a role model, to find someone who have done it before, where we can go and ask in terms of how can you scale? How do you do it to find ways to deal with people, with, I mean, processes, restructured? So, so, so for us, it, it was like a, a pioneering something that, and we make many mistakes and it take, it, it took us toll in terms of our life, in terms of like, the, like where we are. In fact, even with my brother, we used to be in Cape Town together. And we have to kind of like uh, separate it at some point with the business because they have to go to Eastern Cape and take care. And then Onandi has to go to other parts because of the business was kind of scaling, was growing. And we're, we're kind of doing by, by doing it. And, and, and thanks to many support, many mentors. I mean, like, I mean, UCT, GSP, Petha Foundation and others that came along and we part of this program. And I think more than anything beyond the system and where we are now, I think it's more about I mean, for me, I think what works its ability to absorb and learn and hungry and for more opportunities and have attitude, which I mean, doesn't take the past and able not limiting myself and also being open up to more opportunities. And I think that's kind of how propel us to make sure that where we are now. Wonderful. So could you paint the picture of where you are now, which is a long way from the back of your car selling computers? Now, where we are now, we are in three provinces in South Africa, Eastern, Western, KZN. In the coast, we've got about 46 centers in these, I mean, um, centers in, in, in the rural areas, in the township. We choose to be 
in the informal underservice areas where the bulk of our people are, because people were saying to us, go to Houchi and said, no, we want to serve our people where there's no infrastructure now. So we bring about 45 seater computer center in front. It's a cafe. It's a business center. It's kind of like more like a retail at the back. It's a training center where you find 25 computers are sitting at the back. Now we employ about 250. Uh, staff members out of the 46 centers, 16 of them are franchise. And then eight of them are owned by former staff, former students who are owning part of this uh, franchise. We've trained about 60,000 young people. I mean, on the basic skills, they come for six months course with us and they work now in the call center, retail space, government department, banking sector now. And 80% of the students that we have are women. And then 70% of our students are unemployed youth who just passed grade 12. They're really looking for finding employment. They're looking for doing something about their life. So that's kind of how we have scaled our businesses over these 17 years. Incredible. So 46 centers and still growing with mm. huge ambition. Yeah, um, you you mentioned one of the things you did was franchise and decide to franchise and some of your staff have taken on those. What was the reasons for deciding to do that? So we said there were two options for us to scale is to have an equity partner, but we're not ready for that time in terms of the, the equity partner and say, okay, the best thing that we could do is to franchise and we make mistakes. We franchise before time. So we franchise so it can fund expansion now. So we went to the funders and said to them, Please fund the staff members as a start. I mean, fund these three staff members as a start and then give them 50%. We own 50%. We realized that the reason why we've done the franchise, it was to fund our expansion. It was like funding our expansion, but we realized that we made mistakes. So we never had the franchise agreement. We never, I mean, put the systems and processes. I'm so clear from the franchise. And so we were not having foundation right. So that was one part. And two, um, it's difficult to run two entity or models. If you're running a franchise, it must be a franchise. Or if you're running your own store, you must be having your own centers. So to having dual, I mean, modeling that you have it, it's very, because where do you give you energy, um, around? And, and, and we realized that if we have our own centers, same impact, it, we make much more higher margin that we're making from a franchise. So financially, it's much more incentive. And so franchise is not kind of something that we not, we might consider at later stage once we build solid foundation now, because I think where we, we also lastly, while we, we learn that scaling is very difficult. You cannot scale if you're not nailing it. So to not nailing and scaling it, you're scaling a problem. So you need to nail it in order to scale it. That's a great quote. I think we'll take that one. Um, <laughs> you talked about franchising. I mean, there's so many lessons in there that are applicable to so many different things about getting it right first time, expectations with people, this insight you have about running a wholly owned or branching yourself as well as franchising. It's difficult. So picking your model and focus. So it sounds like a lot of learning. Um it was a few years after you started your first store that you decided to scale. And I do think that really does set you out from so many other business owners who are running one site. And obviously you still have a big vision, but tell me 
What do you think it was that really made you want to scale this? So we saw a need of our services because after we've trained customers, they were queuing in our stores looking for access to the computers. So we didn't have enough computers. So we have to open a next branch where we have to accommodate as many demand because that time the mobile was not something was like people not accessing the mobile now. And we said, if you see this problem in Kailisha or this challenging, it's the same challenge that you see in Tanzania, in Soweto, in Lazi, even in Zimbabwe or even in, in Kenya. Same problem of Tisha divide that people, they are not able to connect it. I mean, like they don't have tools, they don't have skill. This connectivity is quite expensive and government, big businesses, they are not at all interested in terms of the bottom of the pyramid in that regard now. They kind of assume people will find a way. And I think even with the time now with the COVID, that has been open now that there's a big niche of digital transformation and no one is doing that now. So we saw that as kind of a vision that we will be a leader in the space that we're able to provide connectivity, will provide skill. And then now it's kind of changed now, not only skill now, employment opportunities and trapeze opportunities now, because we evolve with the communities where we are. So I think it's fair to say that you face challenges that entrepreneurs in other countries would not have faced. Could you share a little bit about some of the things that you've, really significant things you've had to overcome on this journey? Yeah. So as we started in Kailicha, having our own center in Kailicha, um, and we always have a vision to build a three-star building, like a three kind of block of building in Kailicha. Yeah. So that we could make many young people to believe that they can succeed in the area which was not designed to succeed. So we've always been ambitious and, and I've always been a part of like, we want to paint a different picture in this community. And it was, if we want to be a business that's going to grow and become globally in the community. One of the challenges that came in in 2015, it was a robber, the biggest robber that took place. 10 guys came in, in our office. I mean, there's no trading, just an office. Two came in the office where I was there. I was staying with the finance and they put me on the floor, put the gun on my face and they cock the gun. They take the laptops, they take the phones and they kind of search the stuff next to me. They've taken the car keys. And then eight of them came in at different offices and, and most are women working with us and are still young women. And they were putting on the floor and were traumatized. And they went through every offices, take all the computers, they put them in the bag, they walk and they put them in the car. And lucky my wife, she used to run the cafe next to me. She saw the commotion. So she came in, just find out what's happening. And then they managed to go out and they go out with the computers and then just go out now. And and for me, it was, I was, I was traumatic, I was traumatic in this, in this because it kind of cut the core in the sense that, I mean, I've been working in this community so hard to give so much in this community, to empower, to give back to the community. But the criminals, they've kind of shattered all kind of what I'm kind of believing in that regard. For those of us in the social sector, we know that it's already hard enough to cope with the internal challenges of scaling. In the case of Lavoyo, 
This mission was made even more challenging by external conditions and events. Lavoyer had to keep fighting for survival. Here's what Lavoyer wishes he knew when he started his journey that he'd like to pass on. If I knew how important the data from the business, because I think it's something that I value so much now that it never be part of us. If I knew in terms of how we understand the customers, we understand the impact, we understand in terms of like for us, I mean, for making better decisions, not based on the estate. If I had better way to have understanding in terms of the numbers and the data and also the trends and also the patterns, and probably I would make better decisions in terms of the businesses because of it's only now that I appreciate that if it was like me, maybe if there was someone who was mentoring, who was guiding me, or if I was exposed and I went to school and learned around this thing, then then probably I'll be different part of the country. Interesting. So data is just something that you've learned over time is just absolutely critical for decision making. Mm. Is there anything else you've learned along the way? Uh, more than anything, along along the way, I, I learned around leadership. That as an entrepreneur, we've got so much um, responsibility that we have with the people that we have, with the customer that we take with the stakeholder that we have it, and also how important now that entrepreneurs be, have been looked up to now, and how important now to realize that we live in a space where there's chaos, there's uncertainty, there's pain, and also around leadership is about pain. And just like every time you lead, it's a part of the painful thing now, but it's more like to embrace that and understand and, and understand that it's part of the package of leadership. So I learned that over time, we will be key to collaborators with all in order to bring the services. And our, our voice will be on the tables with the government from a policy where you say that how can they better service the poor? Because before, I used to knock on the doors of the government. I used to be angry with the government. I used to say, why they're not partnering with me whereas I'm doing things that they're supposed to organize. I learned that, I mean, if I do what I do and I do it well, they will come because they will need me and because I've been pushing in the right space with them. So I've learned in terms of how the system changed in terms of where are you? Are you a dictator? Are you a disruptor? Where are you in the system now? And I could realize in terms of where I am now in terms of like the system and what is the legacy and what I want to see in the years to come. When we decided to produce this podcast series, the first thing we did was to seek out entrepreneurs from the developing world who've scaled their social ventures in the country that they were born and raised. We found no more than a handful. Firstly, this shows how extraordinary Lavoyo's story is given the odds stacked against him. Secondly, it makes it clear the work that the whole social sector needs to do to encourage homegrown solutions rather than parachuting people in. While the current number of scaled ventures is small and there is a lot of work to do, there are promising changes in many parts of the social sector. And I believe that in five, 10, 20 years, 
we're going to have some new great stories of homegrown impact at scale. That's it from us. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe or follow our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And while you're there, I'd appreciate it if you could rate us and give us a review. If you love Mission to Scale, I hope you recommend our show to a friend or colleague. Mission to Scale is produced by Spring Impact and Human Group Media. If you want to learn more about our work at Spring Impact, visit springimpact.org and follow us at Spring Impact on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you.